time came when the ticker tape in the broker's office told a new story. It was panic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Stock Trading World, the number one podcast for beginner investors from the great, amazing group Stock Market for Beginners. I am, of course, your host with the most Phil Better, and with me, as always, is my expert who's over here, Tony Simansky. Pretty sure I'm destroying your last name. Very close, Shemansky. Pretty close. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, Our millionaire investor, Lloyd Ross, will be joining us. He is busy running his multitude of million dollar companies and stuff like that. Is sitting, but I am so excited to have you guys here listening. We're going to talk about what's going on with the war and stock markets because uh, the Russia is deciding to play hide the troops with Ukraine, and uh, everybody's worried about how this is going to play out in the stock market. So, Tony, before we jump into everything, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, you know, other than watching my account lose money every day, like everyone else, which obviously sucks but you just gotta you gotta hold the lines and do nothing which we'll talk about wait wait you're not supposed to be looking at your stuff your portfolio every day you told us that i remember that on a previous episode don't look at your stock you're right your the only reason i've been looking is because i'm strategizing every day i'm strategizing of what my moves are going to be when things get to a certain point so I'm trying to figure some things out. I've been putting some money in into just my cash account part of it okay. and just waiting, just waiting. So yeah. you got Dorothy live from the villages in Florida. Always great to see you, Dorothy. One of our favorite people in the group who is a constant uh, supporter of the show. Thank you so much for showing. If you guys are watching live, hit us with that hashtag live. Let us know where you're watching from. If you guys are watching the replay, same thing. Hashtag replay. Let us know where you're watching. Any questions you have course always feel free to let it uh put the show note uh, in the comments and we try and respond all the time uh what did tony buy uh i believe they're nothing nothing. tony tony's waiting because tony knows the market's going to be bottling out yeah yeah we 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 talked about this for the last couple weeks how um we were expecting a drop and Mm -hmm. mostly Honestly, I'm not even really concerned about the Russia-Ukraine conflict that's going on right now. I think the majority of what's happening is because of there's a little bit of um, minor volatility from what's happening in Russia. But that is of almost no concern to me whatsoever. I'm more interested in what's going to happen in March during the first interest rate increase, the first hike. So I'm interested to see if they're going to hike it a quarter percentage, a half a percentage. Um, half of a percentage is seems to be the census, but that might spook the market. So there's a chance they can start at a lower rate. We'll see. But um, I, I took the liberty to do some research on this because I wanted to go back and see how the market reacted during other wars and conflicts or uh memorable events like terrorist attacks bombings what you know and such and such so i went and i i dug deep on the bowels of google and did some Ooh. research you went past the first page of google <laughs> i i did so i used some of the trusted sources like investopedia bloomberg uh business insider which business insider is a little iffy so i kind of take my info with a grain of salt there but i trust um 
I trust Forbes. I trust Investopedia. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. So I found some info. Ooh, okay. And um, it turns, so if you look at some of the big events in, in the last uh, hundred years, we're looking at, I don't know, you could probably name some off the top of your head, like Pearl World Harbor. World War I, World War II. World War I, right. Pearl Harbor, Reagan uh, assassination attempt, the Kennedy assassination, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, the Suez Canal crisis, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the bombings in Syria, North Korea, and so on and so on and so on. It just goes on and on and on, right? Even the I, even the 9-11 terrorist attack, right? So I went and I looked at some of the biggest one-day one drops in market mm -hmm. history. So the biggest one was actually, if you take a, I mean, there's so many events, it's hard to guess, but uh, the biggest one for the U.S. stock market. I want to say the Great Depression. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So I'm going. I, I didn't go back that far. Okay, so far. it was this post is like from World, World War. War. Yeah, this is like World War Two and on. Yeah. Okay, um, this is when the S and P 500 was officially the S and P 500 in like the okay. 40s. Um, so I want to say probably. Uh, I don't want to say the Cuban or the assassination of JFK. because It I was pretty think... recent. It was recent. Yeah, I figured. I, I want to say like maybe the 9-11 events. Yeah. 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 So 9-11, the stock market dropped about 5%. The S&P 500 dropped about 5% in one day. Um, wow. And then we're low. Yeah, so that was. And then uh, we do have the Pearl Harbor attack, actually. So that was another big drop. That was a 4% drop, roughly. Um, you had the uh, North Korea invasion of South Korea, the, the catalyst that sent us into war. That was actually the biggest one I could find. It was five and a half percent. Yeah. So on average, every time there's some type of big event like this, the market drops down roughly anywhere between five to 15 percent. So I'd say on average about 10% drop off. Um, and the bottom usually happens about three weeks into the event. Okay. So that's good. So it's usually pretty quick. So three weeks during or, or at the, at the beginning since, you know, from the start of the event and then the recovery takes roughly about a month and a half. So we're so, we're in week we're technically starting week one of Russia deciding uh, to annex uh, Ukraine, if we will. Yeah, because so, they're now they're doing a small part. I can't even pronounce the names of these places, but they're they're looking to annex those parts first because they're saving the Russian speaking people under the guise of, of that invasion. Um, so yeah, we're starting week one. So in about two to three weeks, and just in time for the market to get hit by uh the inf oh the oh wow this could be a big one with inflation yeah. happening with yeah. the uh, the rise of inf uh rise of there's the, a uh, lot there's a lot going on right now yeah. um but but i think some people's minds or put some people's minds at ease geopolitical events and crises and wars um or conflicts and wars i should say they don't have that big of an impact on the stock market. And every single crisis that I looked up, obviously the stock market has bounced back from today. 
and uh, and and on average it only takes about it takes about a month and a half to recover there are some events where it's taken longer there's some events where it's shorter but based on every conflict we've had since 1940 or since pearl harbor um we're looking at about a 47 day recovery time but that the problem is it there's a wrench thrown in the equation because there's so much going on you got the inflation through the roof you got the federal reserve with rising interest rates you got supply chain shortages you have um working uh long lead times for businesses or uh, worker shortage um so there's a there's a lot of issues there's a lot of issues then you have the russia and ukraine crisis just just the cherry on the top right there and because of that is going to spawn other things like we're going to have we're most likely going to see a huge increase in energy costs um and we're already seeing it we've already been seeing it but the reason that we're going to see that is because russia is a huge supplier of oil russia has almost nothing to offer the world nothing like they have land they have land to offer yeah but (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's about it but it's just as cold as canadian land so no one wants it they literally have almost no good natural resources to excuse me to trade with the world other than oil so um basically they're the uh, gas station that's about it they (laughs) offer gas station of the world yeah, they offer nothing else to that's the That's why they don't like Elon And they so know much. it, too. And they know it, too. And that's why they, they're constantly doing things like this. And uh, their GDP, which is an estimate of their, their economic growth and their standing in the world as far as being uh, uh, economic power, they're below countries like South Korea. They're below Italy, Germany. They're below so many little countries. Not, not that Germany is, but I mean, South Korea is so tiny. Yeah. Um, and so, so Russia's GDP is, is pretty low. Uh, I think it's like 2 trillion in comparison to like, say the United States, which is like 20 trillion. So they're or like- even Canada, which I, I'm guessing is a few oh, couple yeah, of trillions more. Yeah, they're, I think Canada is way, way bigger as well or they they're more of an economic powerhouse um so with rod the only thing that's going to really affect us is oil prices uh i I could i I don't remember the exact number you might be able to pull this up while we're waiting for lloyd but uh you could see how much oil russia supplies europe i want to say it was like 20 percent of europe's supply um it wasn't insignificant but it definitely wasn't uh it, it was pretty good amount hold on i'm checking that out now how much oil does russia supply europe we have some questions while i'm searching uh yeah, yeah. supply to europe um russia about 10 percent of the world's oil supply and in recent years about one third of europe's gas is in recent months russia so uh it's only at 1.5 and 650 billion is military okay thank you for that yeah um here we go we got a couple here so first we're gonna get uh, i know mark asked a question here uh you think by march we'll be back this seems like a down year um no it's going to be uh, later, at least by the probably April, May, probably we'll start seeing a rebound maybe from uh, what's going down now, would you say? So obviously I'm just guessing and no one really knows for sure. 
But even before this year started, we were talking about three of us and Dalton Lloyd. We were all we we're all pretty much in lockstep with the fact that we predicted 2020, 2022 was going to be a down year. Mm-hmm. I really think the whole year is going to be down. I don't know how far down, um, be, just because it's very difficult for the economy to recover in just a short year. Uh, and there's a good chances. There's a good chance that next year could be down at least for half the year as well. Um, one thing to, to note is the average bear market takes about 18 months to recover from. So if we do see another 10% drop and make no mistake, we're officially in a bear market because the way you could tell is the S and P 500, the NASDAQ and the Dow Jones are all down more than 10% on the year to date. And the NASDAQ, I believe is probably almost 20% now. And when you get to a 20% drop in any one of the three major indexes in the U S now you're, you're in the territory of bear market. And that index has, if it would be officially considered a crash when you get down to a 20% drop in one year. So I would say the NASDAQ is in the midst of a, of a crash in a bear market. The S and P and the Dow Jones are in a correction territory because they're 10% or more. And it looks like the S and P and the Dow Jones are probably headed for a recession as well. They're probably going to get down to like 15 to 20% drop as well. So I could see them dropping pretty steadily throughout the year, especially as more interest rate hikes are predicted to happen every single month that the Fed meets. So. Um, so yeah, we're going to bring in some other questions again, Mark showing up with, uh, why do, why did we stop pumping oil and give it to Russia? Are we supplying the enemy and making them cash heavy, uh, because they have more oil reserves. That's the reason so, why. The thing with that though, is a little history about oil. Oil is actually pegged to the U S dollar. So if anything, oil sales help the U.S. more than any other country because we made a deal long ago when we went off the gold standard and with Richard Nixon actually was the one that did this, got, off, got us off the gold standard and then made a deal with OPEC, which is the Arab nations like that basically control 90% of the, of the world's oil, that they would only sell it based on U.S. dollars. So every country that buys oil has to buy oil based on what the dollar is, the the US dollar is. So that's a huge advantage, huge economic advantage for the United States. Um, I would say that's Russia getting cash is, is gonna do basically nothing to help them. The country is destitute. Uh, like you said, half their budget, someone pointed out, almost half their budget is spent on military. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not really doing anything to help their people. They don't have a whole lot to offer the world except oil and gas, so. It's true. Uh, we got Dorothy who says, uh, I believe we have been warned so long about the increase of the Fed. I don't think the market will go crazy. Yeah, there's a reason. I think there's a reason that the, that keeps getting brought up. And, I, and you know that uh, we saw the last Fed meeting with Jerome Powell. He talked about, uh, someone mentioned, like, do you think the market is already preparing for the first rate hike to happen? And he kind of like beat around the bush with the topic or with the, with the answer to the question, but essentially I'm paraphrasing. He said that 
yeah, we think that a lot of the drop is being priced in already. So I would say there's probably some validity to the fact that the market is dropping in preparation for that hike. And there's not going to be some huge drop when they do actually increase the rates. I think it'll probably be a small like one, two, three percent drop that day. But it's not going to be like some crazy crash because we've already in, we're in the midst of a crash already. So there we go. And uh, we have Dorothy chiming in with her reasoning because Biden wants us to go green and not permit any more more drilling than what we do now, which is fair. Yeah, um, I mean, the, we can go in on forever about that, but uh, we're going to stick out. We're of always <laughs> we're always going to need we're always going to need oil. We're always going to need oil because so many products are run on our oil based products. I mean, silicone and plastic. things that are in electronics, plastic, so many things are created with oil. So we're even the machinery to mine for solar panels and battery technology, you need oil and gas to run those ma machines. Um, so we're probably a long ways away from not needing. Oh, it actually would be see. bad for the US if we got rid of oil. If, we, if there was no need for oil, That'd actually be a really bad thing for the U.S. and probably for the world in general, because a lot of the U.S. economy is based on the fact that the U.S. dollar is pegged to oil. So there we go. Some uh, some facts here. We got uh, why is someone else's oil better than ours? Um, it's probably. Well, I think it's... we've been mining for oil. I just don't know. Uh, and we do have huge oil reserves, but uh, for whatever reason, we haven't tapped into them. So. There we go. Someone from Louisiana. We got Nashville in the house. We got uh, uh, Connecticut in the house. How well. much oil the U.S. produces? All right, hold on. How much um, of the world oil the U.S. produces? How much of the world's oil does the U.S. Uh, produce? There we go. Uh, the United States also produces an average of 13.1 million barrels per day, the most of any country in the world, equal to 14.1% of global oil production. Wow. Well, yeah. there you go. See, the, the U.S. does produce a lot of oil. Oh, wait. Uh, so crude oil is 18.6% as of 2022. That's a huge percentage. That's a lot yeah. bigger than I thought. I thought it was like less than 5%. Wow. That's, we got someone else from Louisville. Uh, I don't, I want to say. Amy. Yeah, Amy, Amy, I think it's Kentucky, yeah. right? Louisville, Kentucky? Yeah. Kentucky? Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Louisville. Sorry, I don't know all your shorthand <laughs> states, okay? I'm a Canadian. I know the Canadian ones. I know a few of the American ones. I don't know all of them. It's all right. It's all right. We won't hold you to it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, obviously, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty and panic right now. And I think this gets to the point, like, what do you do in times like these during conflicts because i wouldn't even really call this a war this is more of uh, a conflict than a war and we've heard i believe biden has already said that we're not going to do anything like we're not going to send troops yeah, we're just going to put sanctions, sanctions 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 yeah so the sanctions will hurt the whole world um the whole world is experiencing inflation right now so this isn't like a u.s thing it's not a canada thing it's the whole world uh Prices are up for everything. Inflation's up everywhere. Supply chains are hurting everywhere. Um, Europe's going to be in more pain than us probably because they're sh they just shut down a, a German pipeline that was connected to Russia that was going to deliver them like huge amounts of natural gas. 
Um, so I think this will probably get resolved sooner than later because Russia can't afford to have huge sanctions put on it for too long. Uh, they need to, the only thing they have to offer to trade is oil and gas and they need other resources. So it's not beneficial for them to, um, uh, to, to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll probably work out some type of agreement. Yeah. Where they get to keep the two parts of the Ukraine and then in like another, yeah, wait, was it's about four years ago that they've, yeah, yeah, the separatist states. It's about four years that they've take they went into uh, Crimea, right? It's been about that. Uh, it's actually longer. I think it was twenty fifteen. It was right before uh, Trump. Obama was president, so it was probably twenty fifteen ish. Eight years ago. Maybe. So thank you very much, uh, yeah. Mark. Jumping so, in. Uh, yeah, us. seven eight years ago. Yeah, seven eight years ago. So probably in another eight years, they're gonna uh, try and take another part. So the, here we go. The millionaire investor himself, yes. Lloyd, is up in the house making. What's me up? Out. What's up, man? Sorry, I'm late. What's up? Yeah, all right. It's all, it's all right. You're running a multi-million dollar businesses. Of course, you're gonna be late. Mm-hmm. No, I just I don't know why I won't be, but today I happen to be. So thanks for your patience. What's yeah, up? I was I was just gonna say I, I've been looking into this like the history of this Ukraine Russia conflict that's happening right now. Cool. And you were talking about how they they were just gonna take those two separatist areas or regions, and essentially they've already had military there. They're they've already own they're already funding those areas and have yeah. them for eight years now. So nothing is really changing. They're just sending troops to areas they already control. It's all just a game. Um, I don't. I don't think anything major is going to happen. And if it does, and they do decide they want to take Ukraine, the U- U.S. isn't going to do anything. They're just going to put more sanctions on them. And then probably in about two months from now, we'll all forget about this, like we did with uh, Crimea, and the market will recover. Yep. Well, not recover because of that. Not probably not recover because of interest rates and all kinds of other things are happening. But yeah. it won't really have anything to do with with Russia. That's what I'm I saying. just I just want to say we have a we have a we have a fan from Nigeria, Nigeria here. Let's yeah, we're international go. now. Nigeria, just... Nigerians are big on Facebook and Instagram, man. They just on it. They just love it. They just well, yeah. They just jump straight into it. Uh, Dorothy yeah. popping in with this, which is very interesting. The Russian ambassador today stated that they've always lived with sanctions. This will yeah. not affect them much. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. They prepare. They they're like Cuba. They just live with the sanctions. Well, <laughs> Russian the Putin's a very prideful man, and he he's not going to back down. Uh, so he's going to, he'll, even if it hurts them significantly, he'll just be like, yep, take, well, whatever, bring the sanctions on. We're going to do what we want to do. But I think long-term they'll have to ease off or come up with some kind of treaty where they feel like they won because they need resources. All they have is oil and gas. They literally produce nothing else in Russia. Like we talked about earlier, their GDP is smaller than South Korea. I've been to Russia and it doesn't look like they're missing much anyway. Like it's like, it's pretty brutal there. (laughs) Like it's cold yeah, and most people are poor. It's like, man, sanctionists. We used to like they're tough people. They're, they're yeah, they're not going to notice anything different, anyways. I don't think so. You go outside of Moscow and everyone's living in huts, man. Like it's literally very, very poor. You know. Yeah. So yeah. They used to. Someone's it. asking if they produce corn. Um, no, I don't think they have the. It's a little too cold for corn. Trust me, as a Canadian, I'm on the same level as the uh, the Russians, and it's too cold for corn. I could be wrong, but doesn't corn have like zero nutritional benefit whatsoever? I don't know. You guys grow the most down in the States. 
Yeah. So if they have corn, then uh, yeah, if that's their next biggest asset, then they're it's not looking good. <laughs> I believe their their currency has also been falling every year for like six straight years now. The last time I looked, um, so I don't know what the was what it the ruble. I'm yeah, not sure what the equivalent ruble to U.S. dollars, but I can't imagine it's any. You know, it's probably like ten cents on the dollar, similar to China. So. Yeah, you, um, go ahead, you, you uh, it, do you think it's interesting that like it's a great example of communism, like it's a great example of how democratic capitalism is so effective because you look at these countries, you know, the former Soviet Union collapsed and it's created this Russian, you know, oligarch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's just it's just brute like. And you look at North Korea, and it's the same thing. It's like these they, these everyone lives in the dark. It's just fascinating that that still exists in 2022 when you can see it's so prosperous for people in um in Western democracies who are, who are very capitalistic. So you ever wonder, like, if Putin and these guys, like even Kim Jong Il, and it, you ever wonder how they don't just go, you know what, let's just flick the switch on here and go. I mean, obviously it's a loss of power that they don't want, but it's just fascinating. You look at Zidong, whatever his name was in China, he's like, let's bring, let's bring an element of capitalism to this country, but I'll stay in power, like a benign dictatorship. State-sponsored, state-sponsored yeah. capitalism. China did it right. They they pivoted because they were probably going the route of Russia, and they yeah. uh, they, well, they have more resources. Famine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but they're still dealing with a lot of that stuff. It's just sure. they have like they build cities with nobody in the cities, like yeah, just to put people to work. You know, <laughs> you yeah, have empty very, cities. Yeah, the market doesn't always manage it well for them because it's uh, driven by human decision. But anyway, I just wonder about that with countries like Russia and North Korea, how they can still exist. You know? It's, why it's why a lot of because they don't are... power. It's the loss of power, and they yeah. don't they don't trust their 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 people to do the right thing. Well, also probably a large amount of the people. Uh, I wouldn't say maybe North Korea, but. I would say in Russia, it's very would be maybe very challenging to run a democracy like that because of the corruption. So, like if you look at what happened in South Africa when they are part of the appetite when Nelson Mandela came into power and they're all voting, and now it's a shit show. Like, so I think it also depends on the the, the character traits of the populace as well. You know, so maybe they yeah, if you like because they grew up so long under you know communist yeah, rush right. communism yeah. and all yeah. this negative Corrupt stuff like the people it's hard to get it's tr yeah. it's generational like it's going to take a couple yeah. generations before yeah. they get yeah. it out of their system yeah anyway yeah, so i i have some some stats for you guys Ooh. so this is a chart i found and it's how the markets performed during all of the wars yeah so um this is like throughout the uh, through like returns per year throughout the entirety of whatever war was going on at that time. So during World War II, uh, large cap stocks returned about uh, eleven percent per year during the entirety of of World War II. Uh, small cap were about thirteen percent. Bonds were about two percent. And uh, inflation was at about four and a half percent during that period. So uh, one that I saw that was kind of like today with high inflation um, was was actually World War II. Um, and 
that one they had five and about five and a half percent inflation and uh that was about a 16.9 percent return throughout world war ii did i just say world war ii before that i meant world war one on the first one i don't know what i said but it's anyways it seems to be 10 to 15 percent rebound post post conflict right yeah and i was talking about before you got here the average crash uh from a conflict or war um like the biggest one for us for the S&P 500 was 9-11 for one day. It was like 5% drop in one day. Um, but it, it usually takes about 22 days for the drop to, on average, for it to hit its low point. And yeah. then it rebounds on average in about a month and a half. So Do you think it's now real? I have this feeling where it's kind of like pessimistic at the moment. I think we've seen the drops like Facebook hit 198 overnight. Yeah, the VU yeah. came down to 378. Like it's, it's, I was like, it's a bit overblown. I mean, I think it's a pretty good time to buy now. I'm really surprised how much uh, VU or, or the S&P 500 yeah. has dropped. Like the NASDAQ didn't really surprise me that much. No, so no, NASDAQ's no. in like full-blown crash mode, like bear market, 20% down this year. <laughs> but now the S&P has just crossed over 10%. Yeah. Um, and it seems like... It just every day is dropping every day. Uh, yeah, it it does require a drop though because it went up. I, I think we're going to give back all the gains of two thousand twenty one because they're all based on 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 hubris. It was all based on bullshit. I'm wondering <laughs> if we're going to get back all the gains from twenty twenty. Probably. probably. That's probably. We're going to start over from from the beginning of March twenty twenty where that crash I would happened. Say, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because the whole thing was just. Easy monetary policy, flipping people at home, nothing to do, trying to make money in stocks. I would say this Facebook group has been the success story of that era because it's like it just became this all these companies like Robinhood and Stake and all these micro investing out, they just they just boomed because it was an unusual experience and time because people were looking to make money in stocks because they were sitting at home with no job, nothing to do. And the government giving them money. Yeah, it's it, like it was like free money to play with yeah. that wasn't yours. And you're like, I'm going to try this investing thing. And then yeah. all of a sudden you got people bouncing up. There is a great question coming in from, I believe it's Libby, uh, asking, awesome. Thanks for the stats. Would you say World War One is a better reference because they also had the Spanish flu pen? That's a good question. Um, I don't think so, just because... I think we're in such a heightened time because of social media. Like everybody knows everything that's going on in the world. Back in 1918, like you got to read a newspaper. Like it's very slow moving. Uh, I would say we're in unprecedented times and there's a lot more people investing from their phones where in 1918, you have to actually go to uh, the New York Stock Exchange or call your broker. And it's not like instant in and out of the market. You can just liquidate right from your phone sitting on your lunch break or, you know, at any moment of the day. Mm. Um, I think, in, do you think in that sense, Tony, we have more volatility because of the, just the sheer, the sheer ability to move volume so quickly from phones instantly on, on bad news. I think high liquidity probably causes more volatility, right? Like if, if you have something that's highly liquid, like, like for instance, the housing market, like it's it's not as liquid to buy a house and house housing prices just skyrocket you know because it's harder 
to get in and out of buying a house. Yeah. You know, or I think that's I think that's why housing prices are probably going to stay under control because the average person isn't trading a house all day yeah. long. And yeah, and wait, you guys house. aren't trading houses? That's what I'm doing. I'm trading <laughs> houses all the time. Like, so I know I started that going the opposite direction, but I actually think that it's probably a good thing that houses aren't so liquid because the prices would skyrocket even more, most likely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes just... sense. No, no, it makes sense. I was just curious. But, I might have um, just confused myself on that. One. No, no, it's just it's just because <laughs> accessibility is probably a large part of the volatility because people can literally instantly buy and sell without a broker telling them stuff. They can instantly do it in real time with more volume than ever from their phones that they never had before, and uh, and there's a lot more people doing it. So I think yeah, it's it's, um, it's probably what causes more volatility. You know, I think we're probably going to go back to like we were in 2020, early 2020, which something I wanted to bring up. If you pull up, um, this is pretty interesting. I was talking with a couple of my friends about this. If you pull up ARK, A-R-K-K, and you look at a, let's go to the the max, right? The all-time chart for ARK. Max, all right, uh, here we go. Let me, uh, you know what? I'm on Market Watch right now. I'll do it there instead of Google. A R R K, Arc Global Investment. All right, here's our charting. Um, da, 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 da. All time. Bring it up on the screen right now. So if you look at at this ETF, right? Wait, no, this is the real. This is an Arc. You're talking about like it was. It's given back almost all its gains since so that well yes that very interesting as well but if you if you just pull it up on google yeah five-year chart or max chart i mean yeah this is the all-time on this so if you you look at arc so if you look at arc you go if you scroll right to the beginning from 2014 and you just move it up a little bit a little bit a little bit and you get you get all the way to 2020 right before that crash happened it really didn't do a whole lot. It really didn't. Like for you're talking about a six and a half year span. Uh, you know, it it, it what three x in about six and a half years. Not horrible, right? Not not horrible. But it, there wasn't like any huge drop. There wasn't like oh my god, this is amazing fund. And then in 2020, when that crash happened, it just looks like it's climbing Mount Everest. Just boom, explosion, rocket right to the moon, right? And everybody was like, Kathy, the goddess, oh my God, this is amazing, innovative or, you know, disruptive technology, it's changing the game. Uh, she's a genius, she's buying Robinhood, Coinbase, Tesla, all this shit. And now all these companies that are in this fund that don't actually produce any money, the stock market's crashing as well. But if you look at ARK compared to what's happening in the S&P 500, ARK is down like 60% in the past year. And... So in the past year, ARC's down 56%. So people are like, well, you know, the market, the whole market is down, right? In the past year. Well, if you look at the S&P 500 in the past 12 months, it's actually still up almost 8%. Yeah. So so it's like... What you're saying is just buy the S&P 500 and mind your own business. Yeah, well, it's, it's people jumping on like the, the new trend. And I think a lot of what happened with ARC when it was exploding you could pull up the same chart on Tesla. Same yeah. thing as ARC, did nothing, nothing, nothing. And then Tesla just boom. And yeah. I think a lot of what happened with ARC is because of Tesla. 
She yep. bet big on Tesla, really hit a home run on that. Yep. And and now Tesla is going back down to what it should be because it's a car company that exploded during a pandemic. Yeah. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. They don't, they're, they are like, people could say they're more than a car company. If you look at their revenue streams, they're like 97% cars, 3%, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. 3% solar power slash Bitcoin sale. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. So what's your take on that? It's coming back to a reasonable valuation because it's 160 times earnings now. So it's that's what's happening with Tesla. It's starting to realize earnings, which incidentally, there's two things that make a stock price go up. One is the, the confidence in the PE ratio. So PE expansion is one thing. And then the second thing is earnings expansion. So if you have a situation where you're going a lot of earnings expansion, but no PE expansion, you're seeing a PE drop, 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 drop. It's a value play. But whenever you're seeing a, a stock like Tesla that's got a lot of hubris and confidence around it, a lot of PE expansion, but no earnings, you get this massive like one. It was the, the multiple was a thousand at one point, twelve hundred times earnings, like only like eighteen months ago, and now it's one hundred and sixty times earnings. So two things have happened. Number one, the hubris is going out of the market as people like Kathy Wood and stuff have proven wrong on Tesla. The second thing is that Tesla is actually starting to create earnings expansion now. So what can happen in Tesla, it can come down to maybe 50 or 60 times earnings. And all of a sudden, it starts to look a little bit more attractive because it's it's starting to sell for more certainty in its earnings. And I think it's one of those stocks where if you buy it now, in, in it's like Amazon. It was like a thousand times earnings for a while there. No one was touching it. Warren Buffett missed it, yada, yada, yada. And all of a sudden, the earnings caught up to the multiple, right? Price doesn't always have to fall, but the earnings can catch up to the multiple. Um, and that's what I think is effective about Tesla. Uh, what's interesting well, about Alibaba? Well, I, yeah, I, no, I agree. I, I just um, finish what you're saying because I was going. With Alibaba, it's the other way where the multiple expansion, the confidence dropped out of it, but the earnings remained. And that's why the earnings fell down to 15, 12. It's now 12 times forward earnings. Of a company that should be probably a thirty or forty. Um, so the thing when, that is amazing about Tesla is they actually are making money, and they yeah. have been doing well quarter on quarter, which I, I'm kind of surprised. But well, it's hard to bet against Elon Musk. He's just such a flipping freak. Like, so I guess if you're going to bet on Tesla, a lot of people bet on Elon. Yeah, they may yeah. move into robotics very, very effectively, and all of a sudden they've got an ability to transform the labor market with technology. First move advantage on the AI stuff they're learning from the cars. So you might see that Tesla turns into a, the world leading robotics builder. And you look at his satellite business he's developing and the internet, he's making these big, big, like disruptive moves to the civilization. Space travel, electric vehicles, robotics. You know, he's robotics. He's definitely not a, yeah, he's definitely not an idiot. And he's definitely good at trolling people. Um, He's, he's, a good he's also looking towards like Mars, like like he said, well, he wants to land on Mars. They have the Boring Company, which is learning how to do mining. You know and cool you know, him, I don't think he cares about money. That's the thing. No, 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 he doesn't, doesn't give a fuck. He that's just gave why, away I think that's why he's so so successful because he doesn't care. You know, he just wants his like name to be cemented wants. in legacy. Well, he's doing what he wants. Well, here's the thing. I think he loves to win in the engineering game, and he's very very good at bringing big ideas 
into profit, which is fucking, I don't know if anyone, Henry Ford was kind of the last person to do that. Yeah. So, and, and so you have this guy that can do that. He's like, not only can I invent shit, but I can actually make people buy it and turn it into a brand. So here's what I think for Tesla, honestly. He's like P.T. Bardum with Henry Ford mixed together. It's an analogy. He's like, um, so he's making these big moves. So like the satellite business he's developing with the internet, here's how I see that disrupting. It's going to fuck Wi-Fi. Like he's going to take the whole ownership of of the telecommunication companies in the world like that. Gone. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll make him disappear in a heartbeat. Because once people can tap into the satellites that he owns for the 5G internet, goodbye towers, finish, halas, all the farmers, instant 5G, right? So all these, um, all these like, uh, what would you call it? These node networks, gone. He owns it. So imagine owning the internet, right? That's where he's moving with that. Second thing is robotics. They reckon, I read an article the other day, he said that robotics is now more important to us than our cars. Think about that for a comment. It's more important. So he's not just talking about get, replacing the, the combustion engine. He's talking about replacing fucking human beings in labor. Now, yeah. I don't know about you, but I would prefer a flipping robot to this bloody thing. Well, that's going to probably put a lot of people out of work. Well, here's the yeah. thing. Here's I, how I, I look yeah. at it. If If I may, since I'm not an investor or a huge investor like you guys, I'm looking at it like if we have robots that are doing manual labor, that leaves the opportunity to for humans to start either going into the for, more creative aspects. So we get more people creating movies, more people creating TV shows, books and all that, because it's becoming more and more accessible to do it. Thanks to YouTube, Vine and TikTok and those things, we get more creative and we can get more philosophical because it's going to end up being like the, 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 the Romans, like, you know, like, and the Greeks and the Romans in the old times where they had their slaves doing all the real manual labor while the other people got just to relax and eat grapes and all that stuff. And this is what Elon's doing. He's like, let's get rid of all manual labor because we got robots to do it for us and they can do it one cheaper and faster than humans can because we're all limited, right? Like there's only so much, so many times you can lift up 10,000 pounds or like a hundred pounds in a day. Whereas a robot will work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you never have to worry about, they're going to go on strike. No, just plug them in and they're fine. Yeah. So he's taking away that from the uncertainty. And a lot of businesses that deal with manual labor, do you want to spend $10,000 on getting these robots that can do the work for you and you pay once? Or do you want to constantly have to pay $10,000 out every month of human labors that never guarantee the same results? Yeah. He's replacing people leverage with systems leverage. But Mm -hmm. I think from an investment standpoint, just so everyone knows where I stand on it, I'm, I'm excited about where Tesla's going. But what makes an effective investment is no excitement. It's like greatest examples when Warren Buffett talks about Gillette or Wrigley's. He said, what makes that such an easy investment decision is Wrigley's ain't going to (laughs) change. And that's the, you want to invest in things that don't change, right? That hold their moat. That's well, if you're going to, especially if you're putting money in, I mean, I'm just not a huge risk averse person anyways. I don't take like huge risks. Um, so I have most of my money in like safe stuff, uh, safe, nothing, nothing's really safe in the stock market or anything in life. Really? You can just kind of like mitigate risk. 
but uh, you can try to like mitigate your risk as best as possible. But yeah, I agree. Um, so I have a quote for you. Ooh. Uh, this is from Kathy Wood. She said, we have, I think, one of the most massive misallocations of capital in the history of humankind. Okay. She's talking about humans history. <laughs> or money. She's talking about people are making a huge mistake. Investors and fund managers are putting their money into companies and benchmarks based on past success instead of betting on innovative companies. So essentially what she's saying is people are putting all their money into index funds and passive investing instead of taking a chance with, um, with ARC. And she said that, uh, she said that it's more dangerous right now owning index funds than investing in ARC. What do you think about that? Biggest misallocation in mankind. What do you think? My eyebrows can't go any higher. <laughs> I think the biggest misallocation of capital was when people put money into mortgage bonds that didn't exist. <laughs> that was the biggest yeah. misallocation of capital. <laughs> I was like putting it into ninja loans. And, yeah, I'll fucking buy them. You know, I, and I sent Iceland bankrupt. That's what I think. So I think she's wrong there. But not, not a lot of, some are in index funds, but there's still a lot of, individual companies and real estate and alternative investments and now there's this whole flipping crypto thing and it's, it's, there's capital all over the place um i think people are just getting out of plays during so uh, you know to market turbulence people are scared people and then when the market goes back up they'll probably start throwing more money in crypto and arc and all these other things again you know look i i think that investment funds yeah nine or ten percent has been good I don't think it's going to return that going forward. But even if you get seven or eight percent compounded at a low cost, um, not too bad. And I think that it's it's just the compound effect that is what's going to help people. Um, I don't think anyone's got very few people got the ability to invest in individual sector specific ETFs like ARC or even individual companies because they just don't they don't have the emotional ability to watch it fall by fifty percent and still hold it, and they don't have the ability to understand the valuation of companies and what's driving the future growth. They're not thoughtful about it. They literally just go off a stock tip and that's the problem with individual shares or even sector specific ETFs because they go through cycles and people can't survive the cycles. They try and time the market in and out of sector specific ETFs. And I think the S&P 500, I don't think it's just about the last 12 months. I think you look at that thing in the last hundred years and it gives you a lot of confidence because it's, it's self-managing. So if you have these individual companies like the likes of Tesla and so on, if they do become large enterprises, the S&P 500 rebalances automatically. Like we spoke about that last week with Exxon and um, and Apple. You didn't have to worry. If you were back in the S&P 500 in 2000 and now you're like, oh, shit, lucky, lucky I did that because now Google and Apple are the biggest companies, I wouldn't have been able to pick that. You don't have to. And I, I think that's wrong. I think she – you don't just write off 100 years of history as, oh, that won't repeat. I think that is also short-sighted. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, it's – I'm just wondering, I, I think there's a lot of people that are transitioning over to index funds now because there's a lot of millions, what was it, like 6 million new investors in 2020? Um, like million retail investors, a lot of them on Robinhood, a lot of them buying, you know, at the end of 2020 through 2021, buying ARC, buying AMC, buying, and I hate to keep, you know, talking about all that shit, but just buying, I mean, stocks that skyrocketed, right? And mm -hmm. then the next year, this year, 
they just saw half of their portfolios wiped out. And that's like a traumatic experience to, to be up by 30%. And then you just, your, your entire portfolio is wiped out because these stocks are dropping 50, 60, 70, 80%. So you're like, oh my God, you know, it's all fun and games while it's up on the rise. It's never going to end. And then you lose 50%. And now you're like, all right, that's it. I'm, I can't take this. I'm going into ETFs. And I think that a lot of that's happening, especially in the group. I think that's happening in our group a lot. I think they're listening. Like the, I, I know the people who are watching the show, the 18 of you guys who are watching this show, have learned from uh, both Dal, Tony, and Lloyd, of course, that it's smarter to go boring investing because it will return your money better. Um, Libby actually has a, a question for you guys. Yeah, let's uh, go with questions. Let's go. Uh, I read an article where they argued the stance that the speculative bubble has burst. Do you agree or do you think they'll come back with the rebound? Say that again. So Libby read an article where they argued the stance that the speculative bubble has burst. Do you agree or do you think they'll it'll come back, the speculative bubble, with the rebound of the market? Mm -mm. I think it's burst. It's popped. You look at the Nasdaq; it's popped. It definitely has popped now. Um, yeah, and the Ark ETF shows that it's popped. Now it's currently in the process of popping, so it doesn't take. You know, just it's not just going to be like an 1987 crash or a 2020 COVID crash that happens 30 percent gets wiped out in two weeks. This is now a secular transition. So people people are rotating out of high tech, high growth into value, into earnings-driven stocks, into assets that they that aren't going to drop as rates go up. That's what's happening. And so the bubble's popping very slowly. It's popped, but now it's transitioning slowly to an actual reset in the markets. So you'll see people will move out of stocks into bonds. Like as yields go up, there'll be bank, like financials will do. There's energy's doing well. I think it's just a complete shift back to non-tech. That's what's happening. I think it'll take another 12, 18 months probably. I, it will probably take until Powell has increased rates to a rough run rate of the average. Then we'll have stocks back to where they ought to be based on their earnings, and it will come back to sort of where it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, Andenberg is on the way down. It's already punctured. Yeah. The balloon is yeah. punctured. The flames are way. lit. <laughs> it's not totally crashed yet, but it's heading there, and uh, yep. we're going to see more. I think we're still going to see more drops. Yeah. Um, and I think this is probably going to be an awakening call, like with the dot-com era. I mean, the market was hit so hard. Uh, I think I, I think it was like 50% drop-off when I was, it was like insane, a huge drop. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that happened in 2008 too, with the financial crisis. And that, that just changed investing mindsets for years to come. And a whole new generation of investors come in and forget about those things. And the old investors stay with what they've been doing. And they're like, no, I'm telling you. Yeah. Do you remember, uh, do you remember the, I think during the GFC, like some of the banks were up at 30, 50 times. Like I think Citigroup was 30, 40 times earnings. Like that, the financial sector was the bubble because of all the bond selling. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that was that was well fun. banks were not a bit i mean lehman brothers yeah, and Bear Stearns and yeah these banks that could never fail i mean there's uh financial analysts and big time people on tv like well what they're not what are you talking about they're not gonna fail too big to and fail is just, a great by the way too big to fail is a great book to read um yeah. just to understand the market 
I mean, if the government doesn't want to help you, nobody's too big to fail. You know, I mean, they're going to let not the whole industry is not going to fail, but they'll definitely let some of them fail just to make an example, just to prove a point. Uh, and, yeah. and guess how many guess how many bankers went to jail during that period? How many CEOs and zero? Nobody. Yeah. Nobody went to jail. Mm. That's they got a little pat on the hand that. saying you're bad. In fact, they got a bailout from the government and yeah. the CEOs got bonuses. <laughs> so Seriously. What uh what I was gonna say about the well, there was there was a pump up in a sector of the market. And you're looking at the same thing with tech now. And back in the dot-com bubble, it was the same thing. And I think this the the air gets let out of it. And it's like that it's a great lesson for everyone. And unfortunately, the young people don't understand that lesson because they actually haven't looked at the history books and they went around in 2008. But um, well, they actually haven't been through it either. To be fair, a lot of yeah. people never been through that, so they don't yeah. really know the pain of what's coming and yeah. how. So now people are going to know this generation of people that just you know they're going to know. And eight years from now, when this happens again, which it will. Because this always happens. Uh, yeah. There's always some big speculative thing that happens every what six to eight years, yeah. and they'll know, you know. Yeah. And yeah. then the new people will get fooled <laughs> at that time. And then yeah. everybody in this group who's already here going, no, no, stay away from it. Stay away. From... Why are they not listening? Why are they not listening? <laughs> well, I think that um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, Facebook's now one ninety six after hours. It's going to. Imagine if it hits 10 times earnings, it'll be insane. Um, I can't believe how far Facebook has fallen. Like I, I honestly, I honestly thought it was going to recover like the next day, like after pre-market drop, I was like, oh, it's down 20, it's down 20% in pre-market. This is a no brainer. It's going to be back up at pre-market yeah. tomorrow. Or No, they're not liking it. People aren't liking it. The market doesn't like it at all. It's just like chucking it out. It's just so shocking for a company that still makes billions of dollars. Yeah. It's just dropping like it's some penny stock, you yeah. know, it, it's falling like it's, it's nothing, you know. They might throw the baby out with the bathwater in this, in this period though, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I, I do think Facebook dropping so much and Tesla dropping so much are going to, are having a very negative effect on, you know, the NASDAQ and uh, yeah. the S&P 500 because they're, yeah. they're big parts you know, yeah. they're top, top yeah. 10 companies. So Facebook yeah. alone is like dragging, dragging the index down. What's your number one pick going forward in this transition stage? Um, like as far as like a stock or yeah. like a fund, okay. if I had to pick a stock. Where are you putting um, it? Let's say you got a hundred grand, where are you putting it? Yeah, there we go. Honestly, I was so confident for weeks now about, like Facebook's a no-brainer, but it's just crazy how much it keeps dropping. I just don't get it, you know. So right now I'm putting money in nothing, I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen. But okay. if the S and P falls to, or if Wu falls to like three fifty a share, because uh, it's at like three eighty something right now, which is crazy. I think I that I would probably put a hundred grand of that. <laughs> you know? Apple, Apple's in Apple's at one fifty nine after hours. So this yeah, is Apple crazy. hasn't really been hit that hard though, right? I mean, Apple's yeah. it's gone down what like ten bucks a share over yeah. the period. All right, so we have a question, and we'll leave it off on this question. It's somewhat of a good question here, and it's from 
Carl, I believe I'm pronouncing his, the name right. Google said that they'll do a s- stock split. Do you think others will follow like Amazon and so on? I know stock split does not create a value, but do you think it will drive the price up just like it did when Tesla did it? And two, is USO a good place to invest now when the market goes down, but energy goes up or better stay away? So we'll start with the first half. Do you think uh, others will follow suit with the, the stock split? I have to actually jet now because I've got another call at 11.30, which is one minute ago. So I'll leave mine and then leave Tony to do his. Is that okay? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I'll only have one answer to this because I don't understand the USO question. Um, no problem. The stock split, what tends to happen is that when it does split, I know that we know that it doesn't create any extra value, but the general populace of retail investors don't understand that. And what happens when it splits, it creates opportunity for others with less money to buy into it. And it tends to actually have this weird, this weird bias to actually go up. Now, I don't know why that happens, but I've seen it happen with so many stocks. So I think actually it will go up after the split for no particular reason than confidence and liquidity. That's it. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Lloyd. Uh, you all go right, do, Lloyd. take care of your uh, your friends and uh, all those smart people that signed up to your course, and we'll tell everybody where they can find you later. I'll see you guys Thanks, next buddy. week. Thanks for having me Appreciate again. Appreciate it. All right, man. Talk to you later. Okay. All right, yeah, Tony, your I, turn to I, answer. I totally, I totally agree with everything he said, and I do think, um, I do think it's going to go up just because. Uh, new investors, they're always looking for cheaper stocks. You know, mm. that when they see Google at $3,000 a share, no one's, no one's getting into the market. Like, oh, I'm going to buy Google for $3,000. They think it's over. They're like, oh, it's too late. I already missed out on Google. It's up so high. There's no way I could buy it. But if you're a new investor and now you see Google at $120 a share, that's a game changer. You know, now it's like, oh my God, Google's only $120 a share um so yeah i do think it's going to go up but i think it's going to be a temporary effect it'll probably have like a little pop and then just kind of even out it's not going to really change anything uh with the company it's not going to change anything value wise but i mean i think it's a good buy um and it's, it's good for yeah it's good for people that don't have fractional shares with their brokerage you Maybe. can go buy now buy a share of google um and the second and i and remember I, when google split was announced we were talking about this with dalt the first thing I said was, I think this is going to be a catalyst for Amazon to do the same thing now. They're yeah, going to have to. Mentioning that. Um, so, yes, I do think Amazon's going to do that as well. And the USO, uh, I'm not familiar. Is that the US oil? Is that a US oil ETF? I'm not really. I'm going to check right now, see if on MarketWatch, you. Oops, no, not why. You, as far as oil oh. prices, it's definitely going to help. Yeah, it's a US fund. It's an oil fund. Uh, what's the yeah. five-year on that? What's the five-year return? I'll bring it up on the screen right now. I'm going to do all-time. I don't think it's that impressive at all, but I could be wrong. Oh, this is what we got. This is the all-time. Yeah. So from yeah. 2006, yeah, it was 2006 to today. Yeah, so that's, there's your answer right there. That chart is your is basically says it all. And if you look at that spike, it's probably at a time where there was another oil crisis going on. It was the so 2008 the cost, housing co- exactly. crisis happened. Yeah, so oil skyrockets and it becomes more valuable. It's cyclical. So you're really only, if you're gonna buy something like this, you're only gonna do it temporarily and then you're gonna get out. 
because yeah. otherwise look at those. Re- I mean, you, it's a negative return all time. Yeah, if we're looking at the percentage right now, let's take a look here. It went up 60, 63% and now it's at like negative 88%. Yeah. Oil is, oil is a cyclical thing. It's when you're buying like sectors like that, when you're buying gold and silver and oil and, and commodities, it's not really meant to hold for forever. You know, uh, it's, it's more in like times of crisis or when uh, world events are happening that would precip- precipitate the rise of that commodity, but you're not going to hold it forever. And this is, that comes down to the last thing I'll say is when you're buying something like that, you're trying to time the market and that's never a good idea. So no. I just stay no. out of that stuff. All right, uh, Tony, we're coming up to the end. Uh, can you tell us where we can find you, where we can listen to more of your wisdom? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously in the group and in my podcast, I'll post the link in the uh, in the comment section. And you can also check out my course on Udemy, which I'll post in there. So. It's very wise. I know a lot of people. You're over like 100, uh, close to 200 people now that have taken um, your course, right? Yeah, I think like 185 people took it. Uh, it's like a 4.7 out of 5 stars. Um, and it's cheap. I mean, it's it's like maybe 15 bucks right now. It's always uh, under $20. I know that. Yeah, always under 20 They run sales on it uh, frequently. I, don't, I actually don't even control the price on it. Um, and occasionally I'll raffle off a free course. Maybe I'll start doing that again after March. So there we go. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to plug Lloyd. Uh, if you're wanting to learn how to become a millionaire investor or just make extra side income, I highly suggest you listen to Lloyd's podcast, Money Grows on Trees. It is phenomenal. I am lucky enough to be producing it. So I get these episodes way in advance and it has helped me tremendously uh, scale my business, take, take my financial IQ out of uh out of it being in the negatives at least into the positives and of course being on this show stock dirty to me has helped uh, a lot as well so i do highly suggest you go over to uh um spotify and go stop uh money grows on trees start listening there lloyd is a genius when it comes to uh building wealth and of course if you want to follow me and learn about digital entrepreneurship head over to invest in yourself pod.com and you can listen to the digital entrepreneur podcast that i host where i get to talk with people who are making money online through building agencies and that tony you have something to say and we always talk about starting a side hustle for extra income for investing money if you want to start a podcast phil could help you out with that that's very void is number one in australia yeah number one financial podcast in australia thanks to my genius behind it and a lot of my other customers are dropping a podcast left right and center that are getting into the top of their niches as well so if you're interested in starting a podcast feel free to dm me in the group and i'll be more than happy to walk you through and you can join my facebook group which where i go live pretty much nearly every day talking about podcasting and that but enough about that ladies and gentlemen i want to thank you so much for joining us on this episode of stock dirty to me we will see you next week but remember if you're watching the replay or live questions in the comments and one of us will try and answer them either live on the next show or in the comments so thank you again and have a great day Take care.